to talk about the kingdom of God. If you look over in Matthew chapter 6, this is where I need to put my glasses on. <laughs> Praise God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Of course, we know this is the, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, but <clears throat> it's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's our prayer, and it's a prayer that we're supposed to, it's a guideline. It shows us the healthy ingredients of a prayer life. And so he says, Jesus says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the foundation of our prayer life is worship. You know, you, people are praying to God all the time. I mean, last week, I think our country probably prayed the most Monday night when that football player got hurt. I mean, people that have no relationship with God, they're not walking with God, they're not serving God, they're praying. Because it was a very traumatic thing for a young man to almost die on a football field. Praise God, he's doing better. Yeah, he's coming through, and um, we know that God's going to turn that around and work something really good out of that. Amen. And um, but the, when you really want to get into the right way of praying and get into connecting with God and and touching the heart of the Father, it always begins with worship. Because if you, you know, you can go to God and you can, you know, say, God, I need this and I help me with that and, and, and all of that. And, and he will hear that. But are you making a connection? Is there something that is, see, prayer is a connection. You know, you, you, you all decorated your house or most of you decorated your house, right? You pulled out the box of lights and you had lights hanging here and lights over here and all of this right but what good is it if you don't plug them in you know and that's kind of how people are with their prayer life they're going through all this work and they're doing all this stuff but if they're not getting into worship they're not connecting and so it's just a bunch of lights with no light <laughs> but we but we got to connect and so in this hour especially, just worship. Just get into worship. That's what he was trying to say. Then he goes on to say, For your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the foundation of our prayer life is worship. But the purpose, the purpose of our prayer life is for the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He didn't put give us this day our daily bread above that. Or anything else. That's next. So really what he's trying to say is, I want you to be kingdom minded. I want you to have an attitude about 
the purpose of your life, what you're going to do, how you're going to do things, what's going to drive you, what's going to motivate you, what's going to make you focused, it's going to be thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As a matter of fact, why don't we just stand up right now? And you just, between you and the Lord out loud, you just start praying, Lord, your kingdom come. Whatever it is in your life, you just say, Lord, your kingdom come. If Lord, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, Lord, in my family. Your kingdom come, Lord, in our workplace. Your kingdom come, Lord, in our home. Your kingdom come, Lord, in my car when I'm driving. Your kingdom come, Lord, when I'm doing activities, when I'm doing hobbies. Lord, your kingdom come. When I wake up in the morning, Lord, your kingdom come. When I go to work, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will be done. Lord, your will be done on my workplace. Lord, your will be done in my home. Lord, your will be done in my mind. In my mind, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come in my mind. Your will be done in my mind, in my thoughts, in my meditation, in my desires, in my appetites. Lord, your kingdom come. Praise God. Amen. Doesn't that feel good? Kind of like you're lined up now and focused. Right. Okay, go ahead and sit down. <laughs> now, I'm... I always like to look at Bible verses in the context of where, how they're written. And I'm not going to go over everything in Matthew chapter 6, but if you take time to look at Matthew chapter 6, he really starts to address a lot of different issues. He talks about don't lay up treasures on the earth, but rather lay up treasures in heaven. He talks about don't do things to be seen of men, but rather do things from a humble heart to be seen of God, because if you do it unto God, <clears throat> he'll reward you. And then he carries down and he says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33, he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry. Don't be anxious, perpetually uneasy or distracted, saying, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what we are going to wear? Now I got to read, I go to the next 32. I forgot to write that down in my notes. You have 32 up there, Chad? But he goes on in 32 and he talks about how the Gentiles, you know, they're seeking after these things. They're looking after um, the natural things, what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear. That's what's driving them. That's what's motivating them. But then he goes in verse 33, but first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and the character of God, and all these things will be given to you. So as I was preparing this, the burden of the Lord that came upon me is that, and it's been something that's kind of been in the air, we've been praying about it. Look with me to Luke 21, verses 34 through 36. 
And Jesus is talking about the end times, and he says, but take heed to yourself. Lest your hearts be weighed down and weighed down with carousing, which is gluttony and self-indulgence, drunkenness, which is intoxication, and the cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. Now, verse 35, Jesus said this, and it's going to happen, it is happening, and it will happen even more. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So this carousing, this, this gluttony, this, this self-indulgence, this drunkenness, this trying to get a high, trying to get a fix, trying to get disorientated, trying to get intoxicated with either drugs or alcohol or some activity and the cares of this life. It's his snare. You know, it's, it's, he, he's, got, he's only got these three things. And he sets these traps and it's a snare. And millions, millions of people are walking into this every day. And they're getting caught. They're getting trapped. They're getting sucked in. And he's saying, it's, it's all over the world. Every country. Every people. Every language. This is what he's doing. And so Jesus says here, be on guard. Watch, therefore. Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So going back to Matthew 6.33, where he's talking about seeking first the kingdom of God, what he's saying is, I am giving you something here that's going to help you to keep you from falling into that trap. I don't want you to fall into that trap. But that influence is going to be so strong. It talks about that it'll be like the days of Noah. Do you remember the story of Noah? They were so busy. I mean, for a hundred years, Noah is building this ark. You would think somebody would just kind of put two and two together and say, something must be happening here. No. They were just so busy with life. Fun. Worried about this. Caring about that. Anxious about this. You know, they probably got to a point where they barely even noticed the ark. I mean, I would think if I was kind of like there and I'm looking at that ark, I would kind of think, you know, that guy's pretty diligent, man. He's, he's pretty dedicated. He's either really loony or there's something. <laughs> but it would have it caused a little bit of a thought in the back of my mind, maybe this guy's onto something. But when I would see the animals coming two by two, I'd be like, okay, I'm getting in that line. <laughs> I'll put on my rhino costume. I'm getting in that line. <laughs> but they didn't even, didn't even budge him. So God has to do something, right? He has to do something to get through that, through that influence. See, that influence is, is an influence that came upon us 
And it's really been an influence that has been perpetrated through the princes of this world, through the kingdoms of this world. And uh, Babylon, it was, you know, when Babylon finally got himself going and got itself organized, it created a, a culture, it created a spirit, because there was, there was actually a spirit behind him that was creating an influence that was beginning to permeate. And from there, other kingdoms took that and they carried it. Go ahead and put the image up. But see, God, I just want to encourage you right now, just do not give in to the cares of the world. Don't give in to it. Fight it like it's a cancer. Fight it like it's, like it's a, a snake that wants to bite you and poison you. Just fight it like that. Because it will. It's a snare. But see, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, it's real interesting when you study the kingdom of God and you study the kingdoms. And God came to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, and he gave him a dream. And in this dream, he gave him an image. Go ahead and throw the image up if you have it. And when he gave him this image, he showed him from that point all the kingdoms of the world. And he didn't know what that dream meant. He was troubled by it. It was very disturbing because he saw this huge image. Then he saw a mountain over here. And out of the mountain, a rock came out of that mountain. It was cut out of that mountain without a hand. And that rock came flying right at the statue. And it hit it at the feet, at the toes. And then everything crumbled all the way up to the head. And then when it crumbled, it was like powder and dust. And then the wind blew on it. And it blew all of the remnants, all of the powder, all of the dust of those kingdoms. It just blew it away. And there was this little rock on the ground. And then that rock began to grow. And it grew into a big mountain. And it troubled Nebuchadnezzar. And he didn't know what this meant. And he called his, his uh, magicians and his sorcerers and all of his wise men that he had. And he called them all in. And he was kind of a sharp guy. Because if he would have told them the dream, they would have all come up with something, right? Right? But he said to them, okay, here's the deal. I had a dream. I need you to tell me what this dream means. If you tell me what it means, I'm going to reward you with gifts and honors, and you're going to be blessed greatly. If you don't tell me what it means, I'm going to cut you in pieces, and I'm going to destroy your family. And they're like, okay, king, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you what it means. Uh, first, uh, can you tell us the dream? And he said, no. If you're really in tune with things, if you're really spiritual, you'll know what I dreamed. Freaked them out. They're like, King, nobody can do that. That's beyond our ability. But he said, no, if, if you truly know, if you're truly in tune, if you're truly spiritual, if you're truly locked in, you'll know what my dream is. And they couldn't. And he said, okay, get your house in order. He sent out his guards. He started rounding them up to execute them. So they come over to Daniel's house. They're going to round up Daniel and his three buddies, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And they're going to kill him. 
And Daniel wasn't a part of the, the, the meeting, so he's like, what, what's going on? And so the guard tells him, and he says, go tell the king, let me pray on it, I can, I can get an answer, I can get an interpretation to your dream. So Daniel gets his buddies, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and they start to pray, and God gives him a full interpretation of what the dream means. So the next day, he rushes to the king. He says, I can tell you your dream. He gives all glory to God first, says it comes from God, not from man. God's the revealer of secrets. But God wants to show you some things and let you know the things to come. And so he gives them this, he explains this, this dream to them. And this head is King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the kingdom of Babylon. And that kingdom's going to reign, and then when it's done, there's going to be another kingdom that's going to be a combination of two kingdoms coming together. That's why there's two arms of silver, and that's the Medio and Persian. And then another kingdom will come and overthrow that, and it'll be a very fast-moving kingdom, and that's Greece. And all of you have heard of Alexander the Great. He conquered the whole world by the time he was, what, 20 or 24? So, I mean, he just, right? But then after him, another kingdom was going to come, and it was going to have legs of iron because it was going to have power to crush. It was going to be brutal. It was just going to come in and, and just level things. You know, they don't come in and just kind of talk. They just... Well, after Greece, here comes the Roman Empire. And then at the very bottom, there's this, the feet. And on the feet are ten toes. And these ten toes have a mixture of iron and clay. Iron because they're going to have some force to it like the Romans, but clay because they're going to be some softness, some weakness to it. And they're going to try to mingle together. And it's not going to just be one kingdom. It's going to be a combination of ten kingdoms coming together. And they're going to try to intermingle, and they're going to try to create an alliance. Now, that kingdom we haven't seen yet. But what's interesting is Rome went to about 476 A.D. When Rome, Rome was actually overtaken, the last emperor was killed by the Germans. And they came in, took him out, and it just, the kingdom became, became softer, not as aggressive, Eventually it gave in, and then it kind of dispersed. And so then that's where England, and that's where France, and Switzerland, and Sweden, and, and a lot of Spain, and Portugal, a lot of that was just kind of a, a dissolving, if you will, of the Roman Empire. Now, what's interesting is when Daniel gave this interpretation... He also had other dreams 
And he talked about things that were going to happen. And he had dreams about the Roman and the Greeks and everything like that. But when you look down at the ankles, there's nothing there. There's this gap between the Roman Empire and these, the feet, the ten toes. There's no kingdom on the earth. No, I mean, there's kingdoms, but there's not a ruling kingdom that has a world influence and a dominance and authority. Yes, there's already kingdoms. There are powerful kingdoms, but there's never that one world-dominating kingdom. Even the Old Testament prophets, when they were foretelling very little, very little prophecy is in that gap period. Very little. A lot of them prophesied of the millennium. They prophesied of the thousand-year reign. They prophesied of God's kingdom coming on the earth. But there's very, very little. The only couple prophecies that I can think of is Joel 2.28. And really that gap is called the last days. But in Joel 2.28, he talks about, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. Amen? That's what we're living in. So here we are. But now, and what's interesting is when you read Paul's writings, he talks about the church in Ephesians 5.32, he talks about the church as the great mystery. He uses that periodically in his writings. The great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. So really, there was a lot of mystery around this time period that we, you and I are living in. It's a very interesting time. It's the last days. It's the days of Joel 2.28. So here, during the Roman Empire, Jesus is born. Jesus has his earthly ministry. Jesus is crucified and raises from the dead during the Roman Empire. Now Christianity is going, it's, it's spreading, it's having an influence, it's reaching parts of the world. And as it's growing, there, you know, people are praying. There's people that have a connection with God and they're praying about their country, they're praying about their leaders, they're praying about their communities, they're, they're seeking after God. And you know, Rome was not a Christian-friendly government. Nero had it in for Christians. History uh, says that he wanted to rebuild Rome. And the, and, and the Senate did not want him to do that. And so he actually sent out arsonists in the city of Rome to burn it down so that they would have to rebuild it. But now he's in trouble with the Senate because they're like, you know, we're going to kill you because you did this. So he had to come up with a story. So the story goes, it's those Christians. You know, those Christians, they've been preaching, we better, we better repent or fire is going to come. Seriously. And so he turned the people against 
the Christians. And that was massive persecution. Christians were being, you know, it was part of the sporting event. When the gladiators were out, then they would have the, sec the part where they would take the Christians out and send out the lions and, and see what the lions do to them and, and all of that kind of stuff, or burn them at the stake. And that was all part of the sport. And how could all these people stand there and cheer this and be good, you know, have a good conscience about it? So that's how, that's how bad it was. But the Christians kept praying. They worshiped God. There were, there, were, there were stories where people that were sitting in the Colosseum watching the Christians be burned, seeing them singing and praising God, and they would see the glory of God come on them. And then the people in the, in the stadiums would fall on their knees, and they would start to pray and repent and say, God, forgive me. What an influence of the power of God. Well, Christianity, they couldn't put it out. They couldn't end it. As a matter of fact, it continued to grow. It continued to spread. And then at around 303 AD, there was an emperor named Constantine. And Constantine was going into a battle. And he wasn't sure whether or not he was going to win this battle. The troops that he was facing were greater number than his troops. But as he was contemplating this, as he was thinking about it, as he was wondering about it, a vision appeared in the sky over the field. And it was a cross. And he didn't know what it meant, but he knew it meant something good. He knew that it meant something good for him. Well, he went out into battle. He won that battle. They had the victory, and it put him on a pursuit. What is the meaning of this cross? And so he, he met with some the religious Christian leaders at the time. They began to explain to him about who Jesus is and and that this is a the part of the Christianity. It's a part of Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And he got, he got all excited and he made a commitment in his life. I will not worship or serve any other God other than Jesus. And he was so influenced by Christianity. He even had his soldiers put the cross on their shields. Yeah. yeah. And he actually... Built, have you ever heard of the Church of the Nativity? Has anybody ever heard of that? Yeah. It's over the, the birthplace of Jesus. That was built by Constantine, a Roman emperor. And it was through him that Christianity became legalized religion in Rome. And I mean, Rome was pretty pagan. Now, of course, the enemy got in there and started corrupting some things and diluting stuff and whatnot. But the power of the gospel, the power of the Christianity, of the kingdom of God. See, right now, we're in this church age. And that's why Paul said in, in um, Timothy, let me find it here, buried in my notes, hang on. In um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said, therefore... 
I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. See, God's plan for us as the church is we're, we're the salt of the earth. We're what's preserving this planet. That's why there's no other kingdoms that have risen up in the concession of the Roman government. There's other kingdoms, but there's never been a world-ruling government. Hitler tried it. There was an evil spirit, an evil prince that was trying to elevate him to make him into another world-ruling government. But Christians are praying. Christians are seeking God. And there's a lot of evil empires out there that would love to just take over the whole enchilada. But they can't because of us. Because of the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting, During uh, when Jesus was here, one of the biggest questions that the Pharisees asked him and even his disciples asked him, as a matter of fact, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to them many times, and then the last time that he was there, um, he had them all kind of out at the Mount of Olives, and he was talking to them, and what did they ask him? Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom? See, they wanted, because they know that eventually the kingdom of God is going to be here on the earth. They know that. And they know the Messiah somehow is going to do that. The son of David is going to sit on that throne, and he's going to be the king of that kingdom. But they want to know when. Well, there's ten toes, ten toes that are standing in the way. <laughs> we got to get through the ten toes before, before that happens. But they wanted to know. And even Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, he said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. You can't say it's over here or it's over there, but it's within. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said to him, except you be born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God, not in the physical form of a magistrate, a, a, a palace, um, guards, and all of that type of thing. Because he told Caesar, he said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But he didn't come to bring that, but he brought a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that lives with inside each of us. That we're in the kingdom of God. That when we become born again, we enter into the kingdom of God. So this kingdom that we're in is very powerful, very significant, and it's playing a huge role on the earth right now as to what God is going to do and how he's going to work in the earth. And that's where we're at. So we're in the ankle. <laughs> we're in the ankle. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. 22 through 30. 
Matthew 12, 22, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub. Does anybody know what Beelzebub means? What's that? Lord of the flies. What do flies like to go around? Dung. He's the Lord of the dung. Or the Lord of the poop. <laughs> what an honorable name, right? It serves him. It fits him well. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes you hear kids, oh, he's a poopy head. Well, <laughs> that's Beelzebub <laughs> at work. Uh, but they were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub and Jesus knew their thoughts he said to them every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every house divided against itself will not stand and that's why I just want to say to you with all utmost urgency do not, do not, do not give in to a spirit of strife if you have an issue with your brother, your sister, anybody, go to them. Don't go to others. Go to them. In love, have a conversation. You'll find out that maybe you didn't understand something the way you thought. Maybe you were, didn't see the clear picture. Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe this, maybe you don't know. But go to them. Do not allow the spirit of strife to get into you, into this house. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? See, Jesus is acknowledging he has a kingdom. He's, he's been the ruler behind all of those Babylonian kingdoms. When Daniel was seeking God for revelation and Gabriel came to him, Gabriel said, I, you know, Daniel was on a 21-day fast and he said, this, this angel came to him and began to speak to him. And the angel said, from the first day you prayed, I was sent, but I was withstood by the prince of Persia. And when he was battling the prince of Persia, now he's Gabriel. He is Gabriel and he's fighting the prince of Persia and he's having a hard time. He's not cutting through him like, like a hot bike, hot knife and butter. So Michael has to come. And pave a way. So these princes are out there. And they're behind these rulers. They're behind these kingdoms. They're behind China. They're behind Russia. They're behind our government. And we have to pray. Let's pray. Let's just pray right now. Father, Father, we just come in agreement, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. We pray for our government. Father, we pray for our president. We pray for the vice president. We pray for the House of Congress, the House of Senate. Lord, we ask that you would come upon them. And Lord, the fear of God would come upon them. Lord, that you would move upon them and speak to their hearts and, and cause them to see truth and righteousness. We take authority over the lies. We take authority over the deception. We take authority over the falsehoods that are trying to work in that. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, those things would be exposed and be broken right now. And we pray that a spirit of truth 
a sword, a sword of righteousness would go through the house and it would deal with the rebellion. It would deal with the lies. Lord, you know their hearts. Some of them truly care about people, but they're deceived. They think they're influenced by this the spirit of the world here, and they think that certain things are good and certain, certain things are, are, are right and, and so forth, but they're deceived, Lord. So I pray that you will open their eyes to see the core, the evil that is behind these ideologies, these agendas. Open their eyes to see. We pray for the governor of our state, Father. We pray that your hand would come upon him as well, Father. I pray that you would speak to him, Lord. I pray that he would come and have an encounter with you, God. That he would call upon your name, Lord. That he would look to you for your help, for your guidance, for your truth, for your wisdom. Lord, help him to see that he is nothing without you, Lord. And help him to call upon your name. Have mercy upon him. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The power of the church. So just keep praying. And then the local leaders, your, your mayors, your city officials, just keep them up in prayer. If we just continue as a church to stay diligent in this area, see, that's going to turn things around. Look what happened with Russia. Wasn't it amazing? Was that back in the late 80s? Uh, when that wall came down? That was amazing. Well, how did that happen? Well, you know there were Christians praying. They were taking authority over that spirit of communism. And wow, it just like, just, just switched. Oh, there will be a switch. For I said, if my people will call upon my name and humble themselves, repent and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land and I will heal the division and I will turn the hearts to mercy, compassion, and righteousness. Praise God. Hallelujah. But Jesus acknowledged there's a kingdom, and, and there's a battle going on between that kingdom and the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 28, he says, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come to you, or come upon you. So what's going on right in front of their very eyes is they're seeing a manifestation of the kingdom of God. When somebody gets set free of a demon, when somebody gets healed, when somebody gets delivered, the kingdom of God is manifesting. When somebody sees who God is and gets born again, the kingdom of God is manifesting. Pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He goes on to say, 
How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He uses the word bind. Now, if you look over at Luke chapter 11, verses 20 through 23, he says, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. In other words, he has control over them. He has them where he wants them. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and he divideth his spoils. So in Matthew, he says, when the strong man binds him. In Luke, he says, when the strong man overcomes him. And there's a very important significance between the two of them. The word bind means to bind with a chain. So if you have a ferocious dog, who likes to bark and attack people and Teddy. <laughs> and you take that dog and you put it on a chain and you, you, you put it right over here and you, you lock it up to this post right here and it's on a five-foot chain. So it can go, but it, that's as far as it can go. That's it. But it's barking. See, that's to be bound. When Jesus healed that woman who was bent over and she had this infirmity for 18 years, she says, how has Satan bound you? Same word. She could still walk. She probably had a good idea what the ground looked like. But there was a restriction as to how it could maneuver. A restriction on how it can maneuver. It still has the power. It still has certain abilities. But it has a restriction. Now overcome is a little different. Overcome is when you come in and it's, it's mono versus mono. It's force against force. You're, you're coming in. You're coming after somebody. You're subduing them. You're, you're breaking them down. You're breaking their will. You're breaking them into submission. They cannot retaliate against you. They're brought down low. And now you, because of this exercise, because of this power, you have victory over them. And you can do what you will. Jesus did both. You see, the, when he went to the cross, and he died on that cross, they took that body and they put it into a tomb. But his spirit was still alive. His spirit went on a little journey. His spirit went down into the lower parts of Sheol, went down into the hell itself. Came knocking on the devil's office door. Actually, he just kicked it open. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> hey. Come here, buddy. Grab the keys. 
And the Bible says, and you'll read this in Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 15. It says, when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, those supernatural forces of evil operating against us, he made a public example of them, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession, having triumphed over them through the cross. I heard one person say they had a vision of what happened. And when Jesus walked in there and confronted the devil and his princes, their faces began to melt. The, their, the, the, you know, Satan, he was, he was a light bearer. He was, he was uh, a beautiful angel. And when he sinned, uh, you know, he didn't, like, he changed a little bit, but he's been continually changing and, and diminishing. And when Jesus came and before him in the gates of hell, and he appeared to him, it just melted his face. Can you imagine if your face, you know, you might have seen it on a, on a gruesome war story where a guy gets burned and his face just melts? That's what happened. Their faces were melted. As a matter of fact, at the very end, when, when the angel grabs the devil by the chain and pulls him out in front of the, the people of God, do you know what the people of God are going to say? Is, is that the one? Yeah. I thought he was bigger than that. I thought he looked stronger than that. Right? So Jesus took him out. But then he not only took him out, but he put a chain on him. There's a restriction. And that restriction is the authority of the word of God. That when you and I speak the word of God, he has to submit to that. Because he's bound by that. Jesus bound him. So not only do you have the power, but you have the authority. You know, Jesus had to come in there and take care of this because before he could come as that rock and hit those feet and those ten toes, he had to get to the root behind that. He had to get to the entity behind it. He had to destroy that kingdom that was behind it. So that's why he went to the cross. That's why he went down into hell. That's why he battled the devil. He stripped him of his keys and he destroyed him publicly in front of his old, his demons and everything. So he can make a way for that day, but also give us something today. What do we have today? See, we're in that kingdom. We're in that. We're in that. We're in Christ, right? If we're in Christ, then we're in what he has done. We're in what he has completed. So he said this in John 14. He said, the works that I do you will do also. And greater works than this will you do because I'm going to the Father. Making a little trip first 
to take care of some business, to do some binding, to do some overpowering, to do some, take care of some things, restore some things, get some things back in order. That's the kingdom that we're in right now. That's the authority that we have right now. That's the power that we have right now. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you right now. We thank you, Lord, that we're in this kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that right now that we are in your powerful kingdom. That you are at work in us, each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just say this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you right now that I'm in your kingdom, that you have placed me in Christ. You have translated me out of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. And everything that he had, while he walked on the earth, I have. I have his power. I have his authority in me because I'm in his kingdom. Now, is anybody right now experiencing pain? Yes. 